Hello, I'm Sven Erstring. Welcome to Let God Speak. There are times when life is really hard, so hard that it brings tears to your eyes. In those tough times, who would you like most to be there to comfort you? Would it be your mother, your father, your spouse, your best friend? You may be surprised that someone even more amazing than anyone that you may usually think of is ready and waiting to come and comfort you. To discuss this topic today, we have Clive Nash and Casey Butler on our panel. Thank you so much for being with us today. But before we do um, dive into God's word, let us pray and ask for God's presence with us. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much for your incredible love. We just want to to acknowledge that, that when times are hard, we can turn to you. And indeed, you have already turned to us. Lord, fill us with your spirit. May your presence be very real to us. Today is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On 13th of September 2018, Dr. Kylie Moore Gilbert was walking to her gate for her flight back to Melbourne when suddenly she was arrested. She'd been at an academic conference, but someone she had interviewed suspected her and her husband of being spies. Kylie was held in solitary confinement in a cell that was only two by three metres. One year later, she wrote, I'm entirely alone in Iran. I have no friends or family here. And in addition to all the pain that I've endured here, I feel like I'm abandoned and forgotten. She longed to be able to talk with her family just to have someone to comfort her. But she was only allowed four minute phone calls every three months or so. Over 2,500 years ago, there was another group of people who were effectively being held as prisoners, 1,000 kilometres southwest of the prison where Kylie was being detained. Clive, can you tell us a little bit more about their story, this group of prisoners Mm. or exiles? Yeah, I think you're thinking of the Jewish people. And um, if I could turn our attention to Psalm 137, uh, there's a song here of the longing for their homeland Mm. uh, when they're in exile or captive. Psalm 137, verse 1 to 3, verse says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept, when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing unto us one of the songs of Zion. Mm. <laughs> like a mocking sort of, yes. sort of question here. And uh, the next verse says, How can we do that yes. you know, when we're so far away from home? Yes. Mm. And the amazing thing is that somebody knew about their misery. Mm. And because of that, sent them an incredible message of, 
of encouragement and hope and comfort. And today what we're going to do is we're actually going to go to that message itself and we're going to go for an in-depth, step-by-step Bible study through that message. How does that sound? Mm-hmm. So we're going to go to Isaiah. Come with me to Isaiah chapter 40, one of the most beautiful chapters in the, in the whole Bible. And we're going to be looking and starting at verse 1. So here we go. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. And it reads, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And, and Casey, what does this tell us about the very nature of God? Mm. Well, to me, it says that God is not so far distant from us that he doesn't care about what we're going through. Mm. And I love what it says in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them who are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And the two key things that just jump out to me here, it says, first of all, that it's the God of all comfort. So he's just a wealth of it for us, Mm. but also comforts us in all our tribulation. So no matter what we're going through, we have assurance of someone who's looking out for us. Yes, that, that is a beautiful, beautiful passage and a beautiful phrase as well. Mm. And the interesting thing, um, Clive, is in Isaiah, it repeats this word comfort twice. And Paul, when in those verses that mm. Casey read for us, uh, repeated five times. Yes, mm. certainly. So what's labors. the theological kind of significance of that, Clive? Well, it's an incredible uh, phrase. Um, it's, and it's interesting that, that Isaiah should as you say, repeat the word. He's wanting to emphasize it. Mm. Uh, that's what Bible writers did when they repeated things. Yes. It was for emphasis. And, and another interesting thing I read in the Andrews Study Bible is that beginning at chapter 40 and going through to the middle of chapter 55, um, this is, um, theologians commonly call this section of Isaiah the book of consolations mm. or the book of comfort. Interesting. Uh, so here we have right at the outset, you know, this word of comfort. Yes, yes. And it's not only the, uh, your motive mm. in, in, in your intent, shall I say, but it's also the way you speak mm. as well. And so here in verse 2, it says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Mm. So why is speaking tenderly so important, Casey? Yeah. Well, look, when you've been in the midst of a lot of hardship, the last thing you want is for someone to speak either harshly or coldly towards you Mm. in an unfeeling way. You know, that's just going to make you feel worse. Mm. So the fact that God is saying, you know, speak comfortably or tenderly towards us then um, and towards these people who are in trouble, then that that in itself, the way that it's spoken is going to do so much to soothe their pain and sorrow. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. And right there, um, it it emphasised that her warfare has ended. And uh, Clive, just wondering, what, what warfare are we talking about here? Well, one way we could look at that, of course, is actual physical warfare, armies you know, coming in. And, mm-hmm. and certainly Israel was attacked from the south at times and sometimes attacked from the north. 
um, never from the east, of course, because the desert. desert country. Yes. But, you know, they were subjected over time because of their strategic location. They're kind of the crossroads yeah. of, of the nations, weren't they? Mm. Yes. Yeah, and the other thing is the, the spiritual warfare that they'd been through. Um, you know, the people back in those times, there's, there's always these spiritual issues at stake. And that was actually, you know, involved in why they ended up in this, this physical problem in the first place. Mm. But um, that's something that we experience today as well. That there's this spiritual battle that we can go through. And sometimes that can be even harder than a, than a physical external battle. Yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. And and what Isaiah emphasizes is that it, it looks at the warfare but goes deeper, mm. and it particularly looks at, at iniquity and and sin. Mm. And what what was the sin that that Jerusalem, that God's people, had been engaging in that, that led to this this warfare situation? Well, uh, the Jewish people had committed many sins. Sins plural, and not just you know sin as a concept, um, but at the deepest level they'd been unfaithful to God. Um, I'd like to go back to Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight uh, has something to say uh, concerning this. Deuteronomy twenty-eight and verses forty-seven and forty-eight, and here we read. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, Mm. and in need of everything. So there's a warning message, you know. It's a consequence that's very mentioned here. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Mm. Uh, This is must remember, of course, that this is not punitive, it's redemptive mm. that God has in mind for his people. So God is trying to bring back his <clears throat> people to, to himself mm. rather than punishing. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really amazing. And, you know, as, as you say, um, right here in, in uh, verse 2, um, she's received from the Lord's hand double for, for all her sins. And, mm. and, and God is, is coming to comfort um, his, his people. And that's what we find in verse 3. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our, our God. So, so what is the picture that's being uh, portrayed here as we, as we read these, um, these verses, this voice speaking, this message? Mm. Yeah, well, first of all, in verse 1, it was God was sort of saying, you know, these people need comfort and so comfort them. That, mm-hmm. That's what he's kind of initiating. But then we find that in verse three, that actually God himself is planning to do that. He's going to be planning to come in and be the comforter mm. in a very we- real way. Mm. And um, this is the start of um, explaining how that's going to come about yes. in verse three. Yeah. Yes. Mm. So, so it says a voice cries out. What voice are we, we talking about um, in, this, in this passage here? Um, well, this is generally recognized as being a prophetic, prophetic passage. Mm. Um, and Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, makes the application to John the Baptist, who mm. was the, the forerunner for the Messiah. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it quotes from Isaiah, you see. 
For this says he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Uh, so it's clearly a prophetic passage concerning mm. John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. Yes, yes. And it goes on here, um, that Isaiah says we need to prepare the way uh, for God's arrival, uh, that we should make it straight mm. and that we should also smooth the way. So there's a particular kind of picture that's coming through here. And what, mm. what is that picture that's being used in this Bible passage? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's painting a picture of preparing the way for the arrival of a, of a king. Mm. So if you imagine back in olden times, there might be dusty roads or something like that. And um, it can be, you know, bumpy and potholes and all these things can happen. And we even know that today from rain and everything, how it can disrupt roads. Mm. Yes. And when you read here in verse 4 of Isaiah, it's verse chapter 40, it says, Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. Mm. So it's it's a word picture explaining of, of just smoothing and preparing the way for the arrival of the king. And I think it's pointing to us as real spiritual preparation for the people. Mm. So so what, how can we prepare spiritually for the arrival of our king, for the arrival of the Messiah? Mm. How can we do that? Well, in a spiritual sense, I, I think we need to, to humble ourselves mm. uh, before God, to be receptive to him. I, I like what it says in First uh, Peter First um, Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in mm. due time. That's good counsel there. Yes, that humility. Yeah. Very, very important. And it goes on in our verse. Uh, we're just stepping through this amazing mm. passage. It says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Uh, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And the question comes out from this is, is what is the glory of the God of God that we're going to see? What, what is Isaiah speaking about? Mm. Yeah, it's quite amazing. The glory that he's pointing to is actually the glory of God, as we see in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm. And I love how the Apostle John talks about it in, um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Mm. So the glory that Christ showed was just the richness of the the character of God Mm. um, in his life. Yes. And as we continue on, we get the same voice crying out this a, a continuation of the message that we had before. In verse um, uh, 6, it says, And a voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people... Uh, grass. What, what's the point that the Bible is making here, Clive? Okay, well, the statement all flesh is grass is a response to the question, mm. um, what shall I cry? Uh, and we've got a bit of repetition going on here, once again, for emphasis. Uh, and really what, what is being emphasised here, Sven, it, it's, um, you know, the grass doesn't last very long. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, and it's really talking about the fragility of life mm. and the brevity of life, mm. and, you know, and unfortunately we know that, don't we? You know, we've seen seen friends yes. whose lives have been taken from us, yes. uh, and can, we can emphasise, you know, or realise just how true this is. Um, 
that life is short. It is. Yeah, and it, it gives is. us cause to consider. Mm. As the Bible says, you know, teach us to number our days yes. that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Yes, and that's so true today. But I guess the question, though, is, you know, if we can't depend on the, the people around us, if, if life itself is so fragile, what, what can we depend on? Mm. Is there anything that in this life that we can, is rock solid? Yeah, Isaiah points it out in the very next verse. Um, in chapter, in, yeah, verse 8, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God shall stand forever. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, this is, this is the only security we have in life. The mm-hmm. word of God is what we are promised is, mm-hmm. is reliable and we can stake our trust on that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And not only is God's word reliable, but it is also good news as well. It's, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Listen to what Isaiah says. Get up um, on the high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice um, with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And he is inviting us um, to draw our attention to God, to focus on God. Um, but he doesn't uh, leave his message um, just at that. He just doesn't mm. say, well, it's good news. He actually mm. explains why. Mm. And so I guess that's my question. Why is God's coming good news? <laughs> well, let's look at verse 10 of Isaiah 40. Uh, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand uh, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Um, You know, God could be um, all-powerful, and if he were only all-powerful, you know, we wouldn't realize his compassion or his his Mm. kindness, his mercies, his justice. Um, He could be just, you know, just but not having any power, (laughs) and that would be no use to us either. He'd be impotent. Yes, he'd be impotent, you know. Um, So, you know, we need a God who is both all-powerful as well as just, and, and that's what's brought out here. Mm. We can depend on him. Mm. Mm. And it also brings out in verse 11, um, the, the more tender, compassionate side of God's character. It talks about him feeding his flock like a shepherd, gathering the lambs in his arms, carrying them in his bosom, gently leading the young, you know, that tender care and guidance mm. um, that God gives in our lives. Um, is what is there. And, you know, this verse is actually a famous verse. It was included in Handel's Oratorio, The Messiah. Um, So it's not only God, you know, um, linguistic eloquence. It's just the picture of what God is like that it portrays here is just amazing. That's interesting that Handel's Messiah actually uses... um, uh, seven verses from this chapter mm. to, as part of his, his work. Yeah, mm. it's, a, it's a beautiful work based on the inspired word yeah. of God. Verses mm. 1 to 5 and verses 9 and verse 11. This yes, mm. yeah. And it's incredible what, what Isaiah goes on to do is he, he presents this powerful Hebrew apologetic for the very nature of God. Mm. But in particular, in particular, he, he wants to address the problem of idolatry. The, the, the issue of, of idolatry. If you come down with me in this, um, in this text, we're, we're, we're jumping forward a little bit here. Uh, but it says in verse 18, To whom then will you um, liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. 
He who is too impoverished, too poor Mm -hmm. uh, for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. So what what he's he's kind of poking a bit of fun. He's saying, you know, there's times where where you make an idol and it rots on the inside. Or if you don't choose a good tradie, it's going to fall over in in your living room. It's, it's 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 a real mockery. Mm. of um, of of idolatry but the question is this it's not just a funny kind of passage there's something deeper and and Clive I guess the question for us uh, really is what is the real problem with idolatry because it's so so universal so pervasive what's Mm. the problem well, we were created in the image of God mm. uh, and we were created for worship, to worship him. Mm. Um, so the notion of actually worshiping something that we have made, something that is less than ourselves, uh, is a little ridiculous. And, mm. and we might laugh at someone who bows down to a, you know, something made of wood or stone or, or metal. Um, but, you know, we, have, we form our own idols today too mm. in Western and, society. Yeah, and, and what would those idols be? Mm. Yeah, well, they may not always be physical things, or they could be. We often, you know, can make idols of things like, you know, possessions and cars and, I don't know, technology, maybe even these days. But um, even things like our work, um, hobbies, even our relationships, anything that we just, that consumes our life and and is our whole focus and attention and just drives everything that we we do and are, Mm. that that really is is like an idol because it's taking the place that God should hold in our lives. Mm. Yeah, you know, you know, we can uh, make idols of people too, yeah. can't we? Mm. Uh, we certainly see that, you know, in the the glamorous world. Yes, know. in the sports world as yeah, well. Sports yes. world, you know, movie stars, uh, pop music, uh, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and you know, we make. I, I'm not sure whether it happens too often, but maybe even politicians, you know, can be idolised, right. you know, or prominent people. Mm. Um, but b- besides that. Besides making idols of possessions or people, I think we can also make idols out of ideas. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, we might become really obsessed with with an idea such a, a false idea like um, scientific theories. Mm. You, know, you think about the how evolution has so permeated our schools, our academia. Yeah, academia. Mm. Um, and you know that can become a bit of an idol. We've set it up, you know, as as a on a pe- on a pedestal, um, or economic ideas like like Marxism, mm. um, you know. That, and then there's the social uh, idols that we can set up, you know, like gender fluidity in our society today. Mm. You know, there, there's all sorts of ways that we can actually. Uh, fall into this trap. Yes. Mm. So I guess that's the question. This is a very important question for us personally. Mm. How can we, according to Isaiah, mm. avoid falling into the trap of idolatry in our own lives? Mm. Well, it's, it's all got to do with where you put your focus. Um, because obviously, if, it's an, if there's something in your life that's an idol, it means you're focusing on it, mm. you know, as the top thing. Um, but it's interesting what Isaiah highlights as the most worthy thing to focus on. Um, in, in Isaiah 40, verse, verse 26, it says, Lift up your eyes on high and behold who's created all these things. You know, he's talked all before this about the amazing things in nature that are just 
mind-blowing in their scale and the stars. Mm. Yeah, just incredible things. And he's like, these things are incredible, but there's someone great who's made this. Mm. And it says um, he brings even all the hosts by number. That's the stars. He calls them all by name, mm-hmm. um, by the greatness of his might. Um, he is strong in power; not one fails. And yeah, all of this is such awesome um, prospects of God mm. and, and of who He is. So it's it's something that's very worthy because it's going to lift us up far greater than ourselves and actually improve who we are as people um, because we're looking to something bigger than ourselves. Yes. Mm. And and Casey, I love this idea of God's greatness mm. and, and the stars and, and how, how incredibly measureless God is in, yes. in so many ways. Mm. But I, I guess the reality is, you know, when you're hurting, mm. sometimes the, the greatness of God is, is a challenge and, and you can actually wonder, well, where is God in my life? Yeah. Mm. And this is what exactly the, the Jews were saying. So come with me to 27, the very next verse mm. from where you're reading, Casey. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? So this is the Jew speaking. My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Mm. And so they were, they were thinking, God has forgotten about me. God is, is, is not caring about where I am and, and you know, distant, here in prison. The distant sort of God. The distant yeah. kind of God. So yeah. how do we know that God actually cares for us personally? Well, I think Isaiah is inspired here when he mm. gives the answer to the question. Mm. In verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard mm. the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. Mm. His understanding is unsearchable. In verse 29, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Mm. He is an imminent God. You know, mm. he's near to us and he's, he's a strengthening God. Yes. It's a wonderful message of reassurance here. Yes. Mm. And as we, as we come towards the end of the chapter here, there, there's a beautiful, powerful promise. And, and what is that promise that Isaiah leaves with us in this, in this chapter? Yeah, this one's a very precious promise. Um, It says uh, in verse 30 and 31, it says, Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Mm. And... um, I love it that God even recognized that even young people can get tired because yes. I experienced that in life. And um, to know that in those things, God is still there as a source of strength. He recognizes our weakness as, as human beings and our limitations mm. and understands all those things. And he's promised to give us the strength that we need, the uplifting that we need, you know, lift up our spirits like mm. the eagles soar above the clouds. Mm. All of those kind of things is what God has promised to do for us here. Mm. And um, that is just so incredible. Mm. Mm. So, so, so not, not only the source of power and strength, but also of comfort. Yes, it's, that's right. And, and it's worthwhile remembering how we started out this chapter. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. This message of comfort, my people. Yes. And Thinking of those people who were, were there in Babylon, what, what do you think the, the take-home message would have been from this, from this message, from this chapter? Well, we're following on, of course, uh, you know, the experience of the, the Babylonian envoys. And it was, it was mm. kind of like looking forward to the fact that they were going to go into captivity. Yes. Mm. Um, 
And even in captivity, you know, God was still there with them. Mm. You know, we think of stories like Daniel and his three friends, you know. Yes. And God was there with them all, at all that time. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, that has been such a comforting and encouraging Bible study. It's been a wonderful chapter in the Bible to go through together. And it reminds us that God is coming to give us hope and a future and that we can truly be confident that we serve a powerful and personal creator. We're glad you joined with us today on Let God Speak. If you enjoyed this program, uh, you can watch past programs on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also download teachers' resources there too if you're leading your own Bible study group. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can send us an email to lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We look forward to you joining us next time. Remember to wait upon the Lord because your strength will be renewed. been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.